0: Have you ever asked yourself the question why? Why me? Or why is this happening? Why is this happening again? Or go about waiting for the shoe to, the other shoe to drop? Or you see someone else and you're like why does everything happen to them? You know, why why do bad things always happen to this person? And we begin to speculate and wonder the reasons why. Or maybe either you or you've experienced this where something happens and you you think, well, this is happening because I did that. Or that person, well, I know why he's suffering right now. It's because of dot, dot, dot. We make assumptions. We speculate about what God is up to when we suffer, or when those around us suffer. And did you know that that kind of suffering, or that kind of speculation, excuse me, angers God? It angers God when we speculate about the reasons why he's doing something in our lives or in someone else's. Uh, as a pastor, I've, I've seen many kinds of sufferings, and people have shared many hardships With me, and they have also shared how hurt they have been by people who have been miserable comforters. And they claim to know, well, I bet God is doing this or that. And rather than encourage and comfort, they hurt. They hurt. Or people start to spread rumors about why someone's going through something. Well, they must have sinned grievously. That must be why this is happening. And they conjecture about God's purposes and out of the pride of their own hearts. And it angers God. What we need in suffering is comfort and encouragement. But often, and sadly even in the church, We experience the opposite. We experience hurt and pain and misunderstanding. And we are too often, to use Job's words, miserable comforters like his three friends rather than people who can grieve properly with those that are suffering. Speculation concerning suffering and God's purposes angers God. We're going to see that in Job today. And the Bible calls that kind of thinking folly, the opposite of wisdom. As we approach Job today, the question that we will ask is, how do we think and act wisely in suffering? Both if we are going through that suffering or if someone close to us is going through suffering, how do we think and act wisely so that we would experience comfort rather than pain and hurt. The story of Job is a spectacular story. It also uh, is the first wisdom book. So we're entering into some new realms today in our Walk Through the Bible series, the first wisdom book that we are given. There's a number of wisdom books in the Bible, and they all give wisdom for different purposes are towards different ends, and we'll see that in the series. But today, Job is given to us, I'm going to argue, to give us wisdom for suffering. Wisdom for suffering. So if we want to know how to suffer uh, in a wise, a biblically wise way, we should look no further than Job, because God has given us this book to grant us his wisdom on suffering. Please turn your worship folder to page seven, where I have an overview of the book. And I will read that for you, and we'll look at this briefly. The book of Job imparts wisdom for suffering. The book is both a theodicy, that is, a defense of God regarding the problem of suffering, and a rebuke of self professed knowledge of the hidden purposes of. Of God's dealings. The book of Job rebukes man's arrogance for thinking he can know the purposes and reasons for God's actions and why bad things happen to certain people. The central message of Job is this the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, and the Lord restores for reasons not revealed to us, and it is folly to speculate. Indeed, it angers God. But because God is sovereign over all the affairs of our lives, the path of wisdom is to fear the Lord and say, blessed be his name. In the final analysis of suffering, we have what God has revealed to us in Scripture. To say anything further is folly and the very antithesis of wisdom. When it comes to speculation on why someone is suffering, the way of wisdom is this, place your hand over your mouth. Job comes to us in a beautiful literary form. It's structured around a chiasm that covers the whole book. We saw the same thing in Esther and the last book where the whole book actually forms this chiasm or envelope structure where the, the first half parallels the second half. And the book of Job is that way too, which is really nice because Job is a big book. It's 42 chapters. It's really helpful to be able to see the macro structure so we can understand the the emphasis and the big idea of the book. And let's just take a look at that briefly and then I'm going to walk through it with you. But you see that the outline of the book begins with Satan taking Job's fortune and it's going to end with God restoring Job's fortune. And there's going to be a a series of events that flow to the middle where in chapter 28, we have a wisdom hymn, a hymn about wisdom. And it's asking the question, where shall wisdom be found? And that's right at the center of the book. And then it moves back towards its conclusion. So let me give you a little bit of detail then on the book of Job. We'll look at this in two parts today. First, we'll look at the story of Job. And then we will look at how the story of Job gives us wisdom for suffering. So we'll look at it in those two parts. So first, the story of Job. We read the first two chapters here in our scripture reading today. And the book begins by describing how wealthy Job is. He's a, Job is a very, very wealthy man he's has uh, 10 children, 7 sons and 3 daughters, and he has no shortage of cattle and sheep and provision. We're told he is the wealthiest man in the whole province. So he is and but not only is he wealthy, he is also righteous. The Bible describes him as blameless. Now, I want to make one note on that when we say the Old Testament uses the word blameless Uh, we tend as Westerners to think scientifically. Well, surely he's a sinner. And we will see Job there making sacrifices for sin. But when the Old Testament uses the word blameless, it means someone that has faith in God, that is a follower of Yahweh. And so Job is a wealthy man, but also a man of strong, noble, spiritual character. He's kind of the the person I think we all humanly would love to be. We'd love to have all the resources and we'd love to be godly too. And in the Bible pictures Job as this kind of, as it were, perfect man who has everything and who acts righteously before God. In other words, the last person in the world we would ever expect to suffer in any way from our human perspective. So that's how Job is set up here at the beginning. But then we have this very interesting picture of Satan coming before the presence of God and God extolling Job. <clears throat> Look how wonderful Job is. And, and Satan, the father of lies, the father of skepticism, says, well, He only loves you because you've given him everything he needs. But you take that away, no curse you to his face. And so God gives Satan permission to take. Everything away but his life. And right there is a note of encouragement to us because even Satan can only act based on God's permission. But we have this interesting perspective. So Satan goes, takes everything away from Job, including his children, with only a few servants left. The whole empire of Job is annihilated with only himself, his wife, and a handful of servants remaining. And then we go back to this throne room scene before God, and Satan comes before the presence of God again. And the Lord says to Satan, Look how wonderful Job is. You've taken everything away from him, and he still blesses me. And then Satan goes for everything. He says, well, let me take his body and he will curse you to your face. Take his very life. And God gives Satan permission to do everything but kill him. And so he is. Job is covered with sores from head to toe. And uh, the Bible even there describes in chapter 2, he takes a, a broken shard of a pot, a clay pot, to scrape, to scrape, the, the unrepressible itching of all of these, these scabs and, and wh- whatever he's experiencing. Uh, you know, I took the boys camping in Sweden last week and like it seemed like every bug came to life while we were there. Fortunately, we had these bug jackets on, but our hands were exposed and I still have you know some bug bites on, on my hands and a few on my ankles and they just itched like the dickens. You know, and I'm and I'm just thinking, you know, if that's annoying, that's annoying. But Job's whole body is covered to such a degree that he has to scrape himself with a broken shard of clay. And then in response to that, Job's wife says, Why don't you just curse God and die? Just curse God and die. But even then Job says, you are acting like the foolish women, saying that. And he blesses the Lord, and he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be his name. And the Bible said that he did not sin in in all of that. Then comes Job's friends. So we move to uh, part B in the structure, if you're following along in the structure. And Job's three friends come. Job is so marred that his friends don't even recognize him. And then they sit for seven days grieving. And what do Job's friends do here? They do something right that they're not going to do for the rest of the book. They didn't say a word. They just sat there grieving alongside of him to comfort him. That's the opening of of the book. What what an... exposition what a setting in parts a and b here of the structure now what we're going to get into is the the meat of the book which is centered around three cycles of dialogue and then there'll be this wisdom hymn and then there'll be three di- or three arguments that follow after it so we have three cycles of dialogue the wisdom hymn and then three arguments I will simply summarize the the dialogue here at this point with Bill with uh, Job's three friends who are sitting there and they are they are speculating why Job is suffering. Okay, this is where they become very miserable comforters. Job will call them that along the way. They're speculating all sorts of reasons why Job must be suffering. And I will explain uh, some of their allegations in the second part of the message today. But in this first, this first dialogue, the second and third dialogue, they are debating with Job why he's suffering. And then at the beginning, or and then in the middle, we move to chapter twenty-eight, where there's this wisdom hymn, and Job is asking the question, "Where shall wisdom be found?" And he in, he concludes by saying, "We don't know where wisdom is. Only God knows." the source of wisdom. And our job is to fear God and to turn away from evil. That is wisdom and understanding. That's how this wisdom hymn concludes. Then they go back to argumentation. Job gives... It's like if Job was in court, he's given his closing argument here for his case against his friends who are accusing him of all sorts of things and speculating that's why you're suffering. So then, after Job gets his argument, there's a guy named Elihu, a younger guy who comes along who listened into all the dialogue, who takes, gives his take on it. Kind of one, you know, the, the last straw, right? The straw that broke the camel's back. Then after all of this nonsense... God gives his argument. And God speaks to Job. Where were you when earth's foundations were made? Who are you to speculate on why you are suffering? Then in the C prime, Job gives his response in chapter 40 and 42 to God's argumentation. And we'll look at that a little bit later. And then finally, God rebukes Job's three friends for their folly of speculating why God was allowing that to happen. And then the book closes with God restoring Job's fortunes. So we see this beautiful literary structure in the book of Job that shows us that God's in control of the suffering Shows us that we have no wisdom to know why God does that. Those are the big emphases as we see the parallels. And we are warned against being miserable comforters along the way. So that is the story of Job. Now on the second and last point, I want to help you see the wisdom that we can gain for suffering. So the story of Job gives us wisdom for suffering. And I'll give you four points under this point that we will look at. So the story of Job gives us wisdom for suffering. So point one, the Lord works in our lives as he pleases without giving us all the reasons why. The Lord works in our lives as he pleases without giving us all the reasons why. That's the first piece of wisdom that we can gain from Job. So, for example, in Job 42 2, Job says, then uh, the text says, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Job came to realize that God does what he wants in our lives. He brings about good and he brings about evil in our lives according to his good pleasure. And he doesn't give us all the reasons why. He doesn't give us all the reasons why. Why? As we think about suffering, we need to distinguish between revealed truth and hidden truth. Revealed truth and hidden truth. God has revealed many things in scripture about suffering that we can know and we should know, and they give us hope. Some of those texts gives us warnings, But at the end, it should point us to God and even our ultimate comfort in Christ. So just to give you some examples of revealed truth about suffering, Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23, 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You know, what a comfort to know that God is with us even in the valley of the shadow of death. That is revealed truth that we can and should cling to in the day of suffering. How about Romans 8, 28? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Everything in your life, even the crappy things that you complain about, that you gripe about, that you moan about, are for your good if you are God's people. Let me say that again because we really need to hear it. All that stuff you complain about and gripe about, the stuff you would describe as crappy, and and you might use other words when you're describing it, God is using for your good. So who are you to speculate about all of the bad reasons why this is happening to you? It is arrogance and folly. So God reveals these things to us that we would be comforted. How about 1 Corinthians 15:26? The last enemy to be destroyed is death. There's no greater grief than the death of loved ones or friends or family members or the prospect of our own death. There's no greater suffering than that. And Paul says in 15:56, "The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law." But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. To our Lord Jesus Christ. These are revealed truths that we must cling to in suffering. And perhaps the greatest of all, Revelation 21 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. These are revealed truths that we can and must cling to in suffering. These are assurances that we can bank on. And thanks be to God that He has revealed these things to us and that we even have greater revelation than Job had by seeing things in light of Christ. But there are also hidden truths. And these are the things where we tend to want to dwell. This is where we get into a lot of trouble. Hidden truths. Job 28.20, the wisdom hymn. Job says, From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living. God understands the way to it, and he knows it's place. You could also think of Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. God has not revealed the hows and whys. Why do you suffer from depression? Why do you suffer from whatever besetting sin might constantly plague your life? Why did he let your best friend die? Why did he take your child? Why is so-and-so suffering this so badly? God does not tell us why. And it is presumptuous and arrogant for us to try to find those answers. And even more so if we try to tell other people what we think the answer is. That was the folly of Job's three friends. They became miserable comforters because they started to conjecture about why God was doing certain things. And it brought nothing but misery to them and to Job. So this first piece of wisdom we need to understand is that the Lord works in our lives as he pleases without giving us all the reasons why. Why? Now, secondly, the second piece of wisdom is that speculation about God's motives angers God. Speculations about God's motives angers God. We see in Job 42 7 at the close of the book, the Lord rebukes Job's three friends. And in 42, 7, we read, After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right. And then in verse 8, My servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. How would you like that if God came right and spoke right directly to you? I am angry with you because you spoke of me what is not right. Who are we to know God's purposes when somebody gets cancer? Or when someone walks away from the faith? Or when someone unexpectedly and suddenly dies? or is, succumbs to a grave illness. Who are we to speculate? And it makes God angry when we do it. It is the path of folly. It is also, my friends, the path of misery. I can guarantee you have done this because I have done this and we're all the same, we're all human. When you sit around sulking, When you sit around sulking, it does no good to you whatsoever. It only angers God and makes you more miserable. It only makes you more miserable and those around you miserable. Let's think about some of the types of speculation, the sinful speculation that Job's three friends conjectured. Let me give a few of them to you. Eliphaz started his speculation out by saying, hey, the innocent always prosper. Therefore, Job, you must be pretty wicked. So Eliphaz is speculating about causality, about the cause. Speculation the speculation of causality. Thinking about, well, why, why did my tire go flat this week? What did I do? Why, why did this unexpected bill come to me that I'm going to struggle to afford? You, know, what, what you, you fill in the blank. Think of something in your life that's happened to you. You, you. you think about, what is the cause? Why did this happen? Well, that was Eliphaz's technique, and it didn't work out too well for him. We don't know why. I mean, we can say generically that all sin and misery is because of the fall. That's certainly true. But why a certain person gets Parkinson's disease is not necessarily bounded up in that he sinned in some particular way. And just because someone prospers, to flip it, is not a sign that they're righteous. Many wicked people prosper on this earth. So we want to avoid speculating about the cause of suffering or blessing, for that matter, too. Eliphaz r- wrongly said in Job four seven. Remember, Job, who that was innocent ever perished. Who that was innocent ever perished. Or where were the upright cut off? He's, he's, this guy is like your health and wealth gospel guy right here. Thinking just A equals B. If you do A, you get B. So if you're righteous, you get blessed. If you're wicked, you get cursed. That's Eliphaz's M.O. It might as well be Joel Osteen comforting, comforting Job here. Speculation about causality. Uh, a second type of sinful speculation is illustrated by Bildad, Job's other friend. He he speculates about liability. So he had causality now liability. Bildad says you should repent. So he just assumes you must be sinful. Therefore, repent. The only way out of this is to repent. So Bildad says in chapter 8, does God pervert justice or does the Almighty pervert the right? If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. Isn't that a nice thing to say? You know, your 10 kids died? Well, if the the Lord killed your kids, it's because they sinned. What a wretched thing to say. He's, He's speculating about liability. And he says, But if you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, surely then he will arouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. Look at these guys, too. They are like armchair theologians who, like, get it half right, but in getting it half right, stumble miserably. Stumble miserably. Yes, it's true, God never perverts justice, right? It's true, if we seek God, he will return to us. But mixed in with those truths are all these terrible assumptions about Job's case and about what God is doing So we've seen the speculating about causality and speculating about liability, and then a third one with Job's third friend, whose name is Zophar. He just—he this guy sounds like the Calvinist. Now I'm a Calvinist. Sounds like the Reformed guy, and I'm a Reformed guy. He says, "You deserve worse. (laughs) You deserve worse." So he's like the guy that, you know, well, actually, when you think about it, Job, you're getting off pretty light. You actually deserve worse. That sounds like a very reformed thing. A reformed thing gone awry. Let me put it it that way. He's speculating about reality. He's the, well, actually guy. You know, we all have that person in our life when we say something and they say, well, actually, dot, dot, dot. You know, the, the person who has to be the smartest person in the room. This is so far. Well, actually, Job, you know, you're suffering pretty bad, but you actually, it could be a lot worse. (laughs) So far, another miserable comforter. He says in chapter 11, For you say, He's talking to Job. You say, My doctrine is pure, and I am clean in God's eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you, and that he would tell you the secrets of wisdom, for he is manifold in understanding. Know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. Okay. There's a lot of other bad things these guys say, but this is a, a summary a summary of their errors. Speculation about causality, about liability, and about reality. I would pray and encourage you to study this book that you might not be like Job's three friends. We've already, as a young early church, seen hardship in our body. And may we be ready to comfort properly and not be like Job's three friends. A third piece of wisdom. The way of wisdom is to fear the Lord and bless him regardless of our estate, regardless of our situation. The way of wisdom is to fear the Lord and bless him regardless of our estate. Job rightly responded, as as hard as it is to believe, to to think of us responding like Job. Job one twenty one, we are told, Job says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then the text goes on to say, In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. He said, You know what? I came into this world with nothing. I'm going out of this world with nothing. All the things, all the sheep and cattle, all the kids, all that, none of that comes with me. You know, it's not like the the pharaohs that were buried with their possessions. I've heard also their wives that they might go with them into that. It doesn't work that way. And Job realizes it. In wisdom and so he submits himself to the Lord and says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And actually in Job's case, we, we learn of in 42.10, not only does the Lord give and the Lord take away, but he also restores. You read in 42.10, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had and before. That's a pretty extraordinary case. For us as believers, we need to remember that our restoration comes when our Lord returns. That's when our inheritance from heaven is made good. The way of wisdom is to fear the Lord and bless him, regardless of our condition. In fact, in the wisdom hymn, it concludes by saying, And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord that is wisdom; to turn away from evil is understanding. So the Bible here is calling us rather to, to spend our efforts conjecturing about God and speculating why we're called to fear and to turn from sin. That's that's the fear of the Lord. And from the perspective of the New Testament, we know that that fear of the Lord means turning to Christ. Fleeing our sins is turning to Christ. So if you want to suffer wisely rather than speculating about why something happened in your life, whether in the past or present, ask God to help you to fear him more. Turn from evil and bless his name. That's why Paul can say, who suffered tremendously as an apostle, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. Because his faith was rooted in the God who is in control of all of these things. And his faith was rooted in the God who wisely is superintending all of these things. The good and the bad of our life. God is using them. We don't know exactly how, but we know that he's using them for good because he has revealed that in Scripture. And the way of wisdom is to praise. The way of wisdom is to praise God. God. Here's maybe a phrase to think about. Hide under God's wisdom. He's not going to tell you why, but you can hide under his wisdom because he is superintending all these things for your good. So you can fear God, you can praise his name by hiding under his wisdom. He knows how this all works out and we don't have to worry about it because we're his children. Finally, and fourthly, the way of wisdom is to shut our mouths and repent where we have given ourselves to speculation and conjecture. The way of wisdom is to shut our mouths and repent where we have given ourselves to speculation and conjecture. You know, I love, I love kids I love hearing kids speculate about the reason why or that they know, well, this is because of that and that is because of that. You know, a lot of times kids say, even as they're learning, isn't true and it's kind of folly and not based on anything. But we do that, friends, as adults all the time about spiritual things. We conjecture and we speculate and we make fools of ourselves doing it. We talk about things we don't know we pretend and we think we're experts on stuff we have no clue about. And rather than fix on the things that we do know and things that are revealed to us in the word, we like to speculate about the things that are unclear. And all the more when it becomes, comes to speculation or we read the news and read of wars and politics and we try to think about what God is doing. The way of wisdom in that moment is to acknowledge we're speculating, to shut up, close our mouths, and repent. Job 43, Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. And then in 42.3, Job says, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So Job gives us at least four pieces of wisdom. There are probably more that can be gained if we study this in greater detail But we've seen this morning that the Lord works in our lives as he pleases without giving all the reasons why. We've seen that speculation about God's motives angers God. Thirdly, we've seen that the way of wisdom is to fear the Lord and bless him, regardless of our estate, to hide under his wisdom and suffering. And fourthly, that the way of wisdom is to shut our mouths and repent where we have given ourselves to speculation and conjecture. I'll just oh, I'll just close with a simple question. How much better our lives, how much better your life and our corporate life together, how much better and how much less hurtful if we learn from Job to entrust our souls to our faithful creator? To praise his name and the good and the bad, to hide ourselves under his wisdom. How much better would our lives be? Your life, my life, our corporate life together if we did that. So let us follow Job and bless the Lord's name at all times, and there we shall find wisdom's end. Which what is that? It's peace peace. If you want peace in your soul, in your family, in this church, let's hide under the hidden purposes of God and do what he has revealed to us to fear him and to bless his name. Let's pray.